2: Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you as we always are as we uh, set this time aside to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events through a biblical perspective, and also what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all, or are they just making a bunch of stuff up? Well, if you've got a question, you'd like to ask us that number to call again, eighty-eight. Eighty-eight, ask csn is the number to call, and we'll do our very best to get to your question today. we got some lines open, so you're sure to get on if you call right now. Join me today, special guest featured CSN speaker, comes on after, to every minute answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas.
3: Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you today, and um looking forward to a great show, great questions, and you know, as I say every time, people are really wondering what's going on in our crazy, unhinged world. And um, the Bible certainly has answers, really the only answers that matter. And so looking forward to answering some great questions today. And uh, go- good to be with you as always. You know, it's a blessing to be with you. You know, it was interesting. We got a question yesterday about the 2030
2: Summit Conference of the United Nations to homogenize the world. And the world will be as one, as John Lennon said. Well, and it's interesting. the world. Yes. Yeah. So we, we've got a target date of the destruction of America now. They've got six years to finish it off. And I think with what I see, uh, open borders, fentanyl, uh, all the stuff going on, I think they're right on target to finish America and to cripple us so that we'll easily be assimilated into the one world order. And again... And want to know more
3: about that, check back. And Russia is open to that, and China's open to that. Oh, sure, sure. And um, Germany's open to that. It's just, um, um,
2: it's amazing to me. Just, just, because that's the end of your freedom, America. (laughs) So enjoy it while you can. Be about your daddy's business, because there's a day coming when we're not going to be able to do what we do now. We We might be in heaven, we might be here, whatever the case is, Again, work for the night is coming when no one can work. You know, Jeff, lots of things going on in the world and um, kind of a little bit of a highlight there of yesterday's program, your thoughts.
3: Well, it's amazing. The Bible has predicted for 20 centuries that there would be a one world government. Uh, that's one of the main themes of the book of Revelation. It comes under the control, under the iron thumb of Antichrist. And uh, so we've we've been watching a lot of, the the pieces of the puzzle coming together piece by piece over a period of uh, well centuries but it has really accelerated in the last century really accelerated the, the the signs of the times the puzzle pieces necessary the the ability to track the entire world via computers uh to give everybody a number to know everything there is to know about a person to, you know 1984 literally fulfilled. And, um, so to hear that, that's just another piece of the puzzle because we know that one day, I believe in, in Europe, somewhere in Europe, um, a, the Antichrist will seize power and all of these things will be in place for him. It, it'll be no big deal for him to say, uh, you know, I want everybody to have a mark. That's easy, easily executed. Because of the computer systems we have now, the, the whole thing. Um, you know, the ability to bring the whole world under, uh, one man's sway. Uh, you know, that's, that's been, that's been, I remember George Bush senior always talking about the new world order. And uh, this has been a theme for a long time that we wanted to do away with borders, wanted to do away with sovereignty of nations and bring the whole world under one big happy government. But of course, it won't be, it'll be a dictatorship, a totalitarian system that will be extremely wicked. And uh, well, you know, it's all headed that way. And so that's just another confirmation of what the Bible already told us, as if it were the morning paper.
2: It's incredible. And so again, um, exciting times we live in, never despair, keep your eye on the prize, and again, All hands on deck. You know, God needs every single person right now who know him, who love him, to be about our daddy's business. So important. I know we all want to go home. We all do. Everybody, we all do. But we're still here for a reason, to be salt uh, salt and light, and until the Lord calls us home, let's do what we do for God and do it the best that we can. Let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Tom on the line, Bremerton, Washington. Hi, and welcome.
0: Hi, right, thank you. Um could you please explain Matthew 5:18?
2: Okay, and what's your question about it?
0: Well, is in that uh, text it says pass from the law by no means pass from the law. Is that law the 10 commandments law?
2: I believe it's all the righteous requirements of God. Not one jot will, or, or tittle will will pass away till it's all fulfilled. Now, what does that mean? Jesus was the fulfillment of of the law we could never fulfill the law you err in one area of it you've erred in all of it there's no such thing as sort of keeping the law but jesus was and fulfilled the righteous requirement by the father and so we are clothed then in his righteousness not our own but we're clothed in his righteousness your thoughts
3: yeah jesus spoke this in the sermon on the mouth at the beginning of his ministry And the scuttlebutt going around about him and the the people of his day was, well, this guy's come to destroy the Mosaic law. He's come to tear it down and do away with it. And, uh, you know, they were accusing him of blasphemy and everything under the sun. So Jesus begins, verse 17, don't think, don't assume, don't believe the rumors that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill uh, for I, verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, the smallest punctuation marks in the Greek uh, text or the Greek alphabet, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to do away with the Mosaic law in that I didn't come to annul it or to say that it's not God's word, to say that it's not relevant, but I came to perfectly obey it. And in perfectly obeying it, I'm going to do what no man could do before me. Uh, no man could keep the law. The law uh, condemned every person under sin because no man could keep the Ten Commandments. James said, if you break one of the commandments, you break them all. And uh, so nobody could do it. But Jesus wasn't born with the Adamic nature. He wasn't born with a fallen nature. He was born of God, the begotten of God. So he didn't have a sinful nature and he never committed sin. So he perfectly obeyed the law. When they crucified him on the cross, uh, he was an utterly, thoroughly innocent man. And his innocent blood is the only currency that could cover our sins. So that's what Jesus is saying. Don't believe the rumors that I've come to do away with it, but I've come to fulfill the word because all of it's going to be fulfilled, and none of it's going to pass away till all of it is fulfilled, and it was fulfilled in him. So that's what 18 is primarily getting at. Hope that helps. All right, thank you.
2: God bless you. Stay online if you like, uh, Tom, and we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs I think you'll enjoy. With that, we'll go to Bruce in Redding, California. Hi, and welcome.
4: Oh, hello, gentlemen. I'm so happy to get through. I've been... Wanted to call for months, and I just get so busy at work, I never get a chance to call. Um, but my first qu- my question was about forgiveness. But uh, what I wanted to kind of relate to, we just had our men's uh, retreat up in Mount Shasta, which is near Redding, and we had a major in the Marines uh, teach us for three days, and uh, he spent two tours in Afghanistan and one in Iraq, and we were just talking about the full armor of God, you know, which kind of goes into what being a Marine is. But he was just talking about how we need to know the word so when the Satan attacks us, and what he, as an example, he would take a magazine, as they are, and he would go, we would never go into a firefight and wait for the enemy to shoot us before we loaded our magazine and was ready to fight. And we have to know the word of God, memorize, so that we can use it as a tool to fight Satan's attacks on us. Mm-hmm. And it was just so amazing to hear this by some A major in the Marines, which everybody looks up to, and just how we listened to him, and it was so quiet the whole time. It was just amazing. But I've never heard that analogy like that before. But uh, my question is about forgiveness. I uh, come from a very large family, and I had a mother which was, pardon me, was 99 years old, very, very vibrant. And my younger sister isn't a believer, and she got an argument with her on the phone, and my mom went outside angry and stepped off the step and fell and broke her hip and spent a week in a coma and i was a she started falling away after that and then she never showed up to her funeral and i Mm -hmm. i pray every day for forgiveness for her and i just don't feel the hurt is so strong and i just i just don't know if i really have forgiven her it's so hard just to deal with that but how do i really know that i've I've forgiven her and God forgives her. Well, it sounds
2: like you need some supernatural intervention. And I believe this is one of the things that communion is for. It is interesting that by his stripes, we are healed, Peter tells us. And that broken bread, as Jesus broke the bread and passed it around, said, my body is broken for you. Um, You know, there's a lot of things. We're a very complex being. We're a body, mind, and a spirit. And if they don't all work together together, we can find ourselves torn apart. I believe this is why people kill themselves is because they can't reconcile certain things. But everything can be reconciled in Christ if we'll take it to the cross and leave it there. So when we realize that unforgiveness is a is a scar in our souls, we, we need that healed. And I believe that supernatural work of God will do that. And when the person's name is mentioned, you're not grinding your teeth I think that's a pretty good indication that the forgiveness of God is working in a person's heart. Your thoughts, Jeff?
3: Yeah, one one thing that helped me a long time ago regarding forgiveness, because we all are going to have to forgive somebody who really, really offends us at, at one time or another. Usually, a lot of times during life, and I was dealing with this. Uh, I'd been uh, just, uh, in a nutshell, betrayed in a way that. Was really hard for me to get past. I just, um, I couldn't go above it, below it, around it, through it. I just couldn't seem to, um, do it. And I was struggling greatly. And then one day I just realized forgiveness is not a feeling. It doesn't depend on the right emotion because when you're really offended, you, it's, the emotion to forgive is never going to rise up in you out of nowhere. It's just not, because you're offended. So I was radi- waiting for the, the, the emotion to forgive. You know, just a little flicker of emotion where I could say, okay, I forgive. But uh, I waited in vain because it did not come. So I realized forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of obedience, period. And obedience is not dependent on an emotion. It doesn't swing on the hinge. Of having to have the right feelings. And there were there were there was a verse in James 3, verse 3, that really sealed this for me. James is talking about the tongue. And he says, Behold, we put bits bits in the horse's mouth so that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body, that powerful muscular body of a horse is turned by that one little bit in its mouth. Okay, then he talks about the ships. They are driven by fierce winds. They're huge. They're powerful. You know, they're cutting through those waves, and yet they are turned about by a very small rudder underneath the water where you can't even see it. And so James is giving the illustration of using the horse and the ship and how they are both controlled by something tiny and seemingly inconsequential. And it was like the Lord said to me, Jeff, you don't have to have the feeling. You can say it. Just say, I forgive them because that's the rudder. That's the bit. It's your tongue. And I, so I started saying it. I, I didn't feel it, didn't sense it. I didn't even want to say it, but I, in obedience to God, I said it and then I said it again. And then I kept on saying it. And I'm going to tell you, this is my own testimony um uh, the more i said it the freer i got because you are turned the way that god designed us we are so much depends on what we say in other words if if i need to forgive somebody i can say it you know i forgive them i don't have to feel it i say it i forgive them lord i forgive them and in god's presence i did it until eventually i was free and to this day if the devil tries to kick up my memory of what happened, I say it. I forgive them. I forgive them. And it keeps me free. And I would also just just end this, Bruce, my, my comments to you, by saying you don't do it for them. You do not forgive for them. Because most of the time, people we forgive could care less whether or not we forgive. Our enemies, those that don't like us, those that are against us, they don't care if we forgive. They They could care less. If we spent 20 years in bitterness, they don't care, but but we forgive because it keeps us free. You, you've got to forgive to go on with Christ. So that really spoke to me as well. I, I'm not going to let these people who did this control my life. My calling, my walk, my spiritual uh, fruitfulness is far more important than these people who betrayed me. And so try that. You you don't have to feel it. Just say it, and you will find that it finally looses your heart. And you do feel it, but only after you have obeyed God by just actually saying in his presence, I forgive them. And for me, that helped. And I hope that helps you, Bruce.
2: Amen. I hope that helps.
3: Oh, immensely. I knew you. I knew if I called up it. I've been struggling
4: with it for a while because she was my favorite sister growing up, I and mean, we were so tight. And then she moved to San Diego, and and just is so liberal now. It is just it hurts. But I was looking for that feeling, and I th- and now you're right because I pray every morning, God, am I forgiving her? Please let me know that I'm forgiving her, and I I believe it. I, thank you so much, Jeff. That was such a good way to say that. Amen. You bet.
2: I'm so glad you called Bruce. Stay on the line. We'll send you out the movie Jesus. I think you'll really enjoy that. And again, uh, perhaps you can pass it along to your family members. Stay on the line. We'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Rondell, I believe it is, in Filer. Hi and welcome.
4: Yes, my son-in-law has been battling cancer for the past 21 months. Oh. Last week he was told that cancer has spread to his brain and its terminal. Our pastor told us not to give up hope. God can still do a miracle. And while my family and I believe that, at this point we doubt that God will. So how do we pray effectively for our son-in-law, Dylan, when we have all these doubts? Well, first
2: question is, is Dylan a believer in Christ Jesus?
4: Yes, but at the moment he's angry at God for what he's going through. Well, we can't
2: be angry at God. We live in a fallen world. In fact, I, you know, the more people I talk to, the more I find that almost everybody's got something wrong with them. I, I some more serious than others, but nevertheless, um, it, it 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 holds you back. It really does. We're we're aware of it, Jeff. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, uh, we all do. <laughs> we're all broken somewhere. I heard one preacher say, "You get to the point where." Either it doesn't work or it hurts, <laughs> one or the other, uh, just your body. And we all, as a matter of fact, the great preacher Spurgeon used to uh, talk about this, and he said, we're all flawed somewhere. We're all broken somewhere. We all have something that is not functioning the way God originally intended or that is just hurting. Uh, that's just a fact of living in a, in a fallen world. Um being angry at God, I get that. I understand a lot of people experience that. But it's certainly not anything God has done. And um when it comes to praying for somebody like this, the way I would talk to them and the way I would take it to God is I would tell him, what's his name, by the way? Dylan. Dylan, that's right. Okay. I would say, Dylan, we are going to believe God for your healing uh To the end, if you're not healed, are you ready to meet Jesus? Because he can heal, whether or not he does, we don't know. But we want you to know, we're standing with you in faith. And we are not going to let go in faith. But we also are praying for your peace, for your peace of mind, for your strength, uh, for your comfort. And whether you stay or whether you go, you are the Lord's. And uh so I would just be honest with him, but never saying to him, we quit, we give up, there's no hope, we agree with the doctor. Because it's very important to people who are uh in this condition to have hope. I mean, they really, and I totally understand that. I mean, I would want it too, to have hope. But they also need to come to terms with, um, It may not happen. You know, my wife, uh, my late wife, uh, Kathy, died of cancer. And I can remember when she was first diagnosed, she was given nine months to live. And it happened to be a brain tumor. And I can remember down to the very last morning, I was at her bedside and I was reading to her the 23rd Psalm. And I was reading to her Bible promises about heaven. And she managed to say to me, I know where I'm going. I know, With confidence, I know where I'm going. So right down to the end, I read her verses of hope, but I also read her verses having to do with the promise of heaven. And I think it's it's possible, and it's a good thing to minister to both possibilities. And so you, you read the word, words of comfort, the promises of God, but you also read the promises about the, the bliss and the joy of the heaven that is to come and where they will be the moment they breathe their last breath. So I don't know if that helps, but you're not stuck. You're not between a rock and a hard place. You can address both possibilities at the same time, right now to the end. So I hope that helps.
2: Yes, it does. Thank you. Well, let's pray for him right now. Lord, we yeah. just lift him up to you. We just ask you, God, that you would do the very best. Lord, that you would you would bring your voice of reasoning into his heart, that he would understand, Lord, this is part of living in a fallen world, and we all have to deal with it. And so we just pray for, first of all, his relationship with you, and God who heals, would you extend your hand of healing to him in Jesus' name? Amen. Rondell, prayers are with you. I'll send you out the movie Jesus if you like. Perhaps you can watch it with him. I think uh, you probably enjoy that. Based on the book of Luke, stay in line. We'll get that out to you, okay? Okay, thank you. God bless you. Eighty eight eighty eight Eighty-eight eighty-eight. csn is the number to call if you want to be part of the program today. Let's go to Tom, Carson City, Nevada. Hi, welcome.
4: Pastors, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. I got a question on, uh, I have a question on Colossians, uh, chapter three, verse four. Is that a more of a rapture verse or more of a second coming verse?
2: Okay, your thoughts, Jeff.
3: Well, it says, uh, starting out with verse one, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Then dropping down to verse four, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Well, that sounds to me like a rapture verse, because we are appearing with him in glory, not on the earth, because in the second advent, when Jesus comes back in what is called the second coming, he comes back to stop the war of Armageddon. And when the war of Armageddon is stopped by him, then he proceeds to judge the nations, and at that time, we're with him on the earth. We're there uh, because we have returned with him uh, for that second advent. But here we appear with him in glory. So that sounds to me like the great catching up, the the rapture of the church where we are taken from earth to heaven. In the second advent, we're taken from heaven to earth. So there are two very different things. And so to me, uh Tom, it sounds like a rapture verse, Mike.
2: Amen. I I believe the same way, and and again, um, we appear with him. Uh, I think that's really important, rather than than uh, him appearing to us. Hope that helps.
4: Thank you. Yes, it does very much. I got that any was... other
2: any other questions there?
4: No, no. We're doing a Bible study through Colossians. And uh, we're going to be in chapter three shortly, and uh, myself and the teacher are running through it, and we just want to have a clear understanding.
2: Yeah, no, and, and, and I, I believe if you look at the wording there, I I think it, it would, would absolutely uh, lend itself uh, in every way to a rapture verse. Uh, again, second coming, Jesus comes to this earth. In the rapture, we go meet him in the air. Paul says, we're not sure what we're going to be, but we know when we see him, we'll be like him. So hope that helps. And um, God bless you. You know, Jeff, so many things in the world going on right now, again, and uh, I think a lot of people are just really concerned what they're seeing uh, globally. We have um, North Korea saying a nuclear war is is imminent. Uh, this is concerning the United Nations. Uh, again, hair triggers, you know, they. They spent all this money, the 30th poorest country on earth, developing these high-tech nuclear weapons. I don't think they're just building them to let them sit on a shelf and impress their neighbors. I believe they no. they yeah. plan on using them.
3: Yep, that man's never created a weapon he didn't use. So unfortunately, tragically, and you know, actually, <clears throat> you know, frighteningly, now I say that as a believer, I'm not frightened of, I'm not walking in a spirit of fear, but when you think about the power of these, these weapons, I mean, hundred megaton bombs oh, that make the, the Hiroshima bomb look like, uh, you know, playtime romper room. And, uh, it, it's just amazing the, the power these things have. But you know, Mike, one of the greatest concerns for me, uh, just as a, well, we'll talk about it when we come back from the break, but. I just had a thought I wanted to throw your way.
2: Sure, I think we all need encouragement in these days we're in. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask CSN's the number to call if you want to be part of the program. Uh, we're going to be have, we'll have mo- a lot more coming up right after this. We'll be right back.
1: More than ever, pastors need to feel people's love and support. Over the last few years, many pastors have seriously considered leaving their church. But 1 Thessalonians 5.12 instructs all churches and all Christians to show and share their deep appreciation for those who minister to them. There is no better time to do this than Pastor Appreciation Month in October. And there's no better way to do it than using the easy as one, two, three Bless Your Pastor materials that are available for free at blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. Plus, the great news is that if your church uses the 123 Bless Your Pastor materials, the pastors at your church will be offered a $300 scholarship application to attend a Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage retreat. What a blessing this will be to your pastors and their spouses. For free materials, go to blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. Hey, this is Brent along with Sherry here. And so you hear me doing these spots for MediShare? And Sherry actually helps me with them. I get people actually in person saying, okay, Brent, for real, do you recommend this? Like, yeah, uh, for real, I actually do. I'm not just saying stuff. So family, friends ask me about it. I'm like, yes, you should look into this. It's really a great option for a lot of people.
0: That's what I tell people. My experience has been, MetaShare has been Fantastic for me. Yeah, it's so different from health insurance in a lot of great ways. Honestly, yeah,
1: and see, a lot of people who've switched tell me that it's the same reaction. They're very, very happy with it, and it gives them peace of mind and saves them a lot of money.
0: I would tell people look into
1: it. Yep. Uh, so really, for reals, uh, if you want to talk to them, they're great to talk to. I think you'll be impressed and happy you looked into it. So. Um, You do the phone number. I'm actually tired of doing all the (laughs) phone numbers. Okay. Call now.
0: 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Nice job. Thanks.
2: And we want to welcome you back to part two of To Every Man Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler in Twin Falls, Idaho. And, uh, you know, before we go to the phones, um, you know, you were just about to say.
3: Yeah. And again, the number, if you want to call in, we've got a couple of lines open, 8888-ASK-CSN. And we will get to you these uh, last 30 minutes of the program. Uh, you know, Mike, I, I think it would be really good, just a suggestion, if we did a show or at least a part of a show on this whole deconstruction movement. Uh, there is a movement out there that has really gained a lot of steam. Uh, everywhere you turn, you're, you're seeing major, uh, celebrities, um, well-known names, even so-called Bible scholars saying that they have deconstructed their faith and are walking away. Of course, the Bible calls deconstruction apostasy. But it's happening uh in a in a in a bigger and bigger way. And if you're much on social media or YouTube, that kind of format, you've probably seen some of these uh musicians, well-known Christian musicians, uh some pastors, uh again like I said some seminary professors, Bible scholars, uh, uh and I it's hard to call them a Bible scholar if they're deconstructing from the faith. But more and more you're seeing that out there on social media platforms. And, uh, so I've done a little research into it and I've seen some of the, some of the reasons they're giving for this. And my guess would be that some of our listeners across the country are, have heard some of their reasons or been, uh, maybe confused by some of what they are teaching, what they're saying. So just a thought that we could, um, Maybe do part of a show on the whole deconstruction thing and sort of deconstruct the deconstruction or deconstruct the reasons for deconstructing. And, uh, so just a thought, but it's a, it's out there, Mike, and it's really gaining a lot of steam. And, uh, so just, uh, I thought it might be interesting if we did something like that.
2: Yeah. Because so many people are, 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 um, I think via the internet, is really um, uh, attacking people's faith, uh, and you oh, see yeah. this absolute lame stuff that they're writing. Yeah. I, I saw an article earlier today. It said, uh, "Was Jesus' a father a Roman centurion or something?" I'm going, "Why? Why don't you just go <laughs> yeah. read Mad Magazine yeah. rather than uh, waste any time on the internet? Because uh, you're you're not you're not getting anything." That even resembles sound biblical teaching when uh, you look at some of these people and some of the crazy things they're writing. So it's it's pretty crazy. So um, yeah, wow. I'll tell you, it's 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 crazy. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Gary uh, in um, Michigan, I believe. It is. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How may we help?
4: I got a question. I, I I don't have a Bible in front of me, so I'm not going to be able to read it word for word or anything like that. But in the Bible, it says that when God, the rapture comes, God will come and the the dead, the dead will go first. With the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet, they'll meet Jesus in the sky. Now, my question is that my, my family and I don't get, agree on it, but when you pass away, you go into heaven right away?
3: That's or what the Bible
2: Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Uh, Paul says, I'm torn between the two, rather to, go, be to he- go to heaven or to remain here with you, which is far better because he could guide them in everything. He didn't say lay in a cool grave till resurrection day or whatever. Now, when you're talking about the, the rapture, the Bible says the dead in Christ rise first. This is their bodies, not their spirit that's gone to be with the Lord. And also, those that are alive and remain will be changed in a moment, twinkling him an eye. This mortality, our bodies that will die, will put on immortality. Very important. We need a body to rule and reign with Christ here on this earth for a thousand years. I don't believe anybody that's died in faith is missing anything right now in heaven. But when we come back to this physical world, we're going to need a body. The Bible says clearly we'll be known as we're known. I don't think there's any issue there. And we remember even Jesus said after he resurrected, here, Thomas, put your fingers in the holes in my hand and thrust your hand into my side. Uh, he didn't say I, I'm an essence or I'm a ghost. He had a resurrected body. That's what we're going to get. But I don't believe we need it until we're back here on this earth ruling and reigning with him. And I think this is one of the reasons why the time of it, and also Paul mentioning concerning the believers that are alive when the rapture comes, in a moment, twinkling of an eye, we will be changed, we'll be transformed. And so, uh, again, the those that have died, uh, God's going to reassemble. He's got the DNA on every every person that's ever lived on this earth. And especially those who are in Him. Your thoughts, Jeff?
3: Yeah, uh, Paul wrote about this in First Corinthians fifteen forty-two. He wanted us to understand this whole thing about the resurrection of the body. The Bible does say in two places that when Jesus returns to rapture the church, the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, as Mike said, their bodies. But as soon as a believer dies. That is, as soon as their body dies, Paul called it sleep just because he didn't want to tag it with the label of death. Uh, he just is it, sleep when the body dies and the heart stops beating immediately. That believer's soul goes into the presence of the Lord. If they are not saved, their soul goes to Hades, uh, the realm of the dead, uh, the lost dead, where they await the resurrection of the great white throne judgment, where they will be judged for their sins. But the believer's soul goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, his body wasn't, but his soul was. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That is as we said earlier, full of disease, problems, weaknesses, flaws, uh, um, so on and so forth. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. There's nothing honorable about a dead body. It's sown into the grave in dishonor, but it's, but it's raised in power by the power of God. It's sown a natural body, a normal human body. But it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So what he's wanting us to understand is the, the body that comes out of that grave is going to be like the body of Jesus glorified body. Uh, he, he was not recognizable. Mary Magdalene didn't know who he was. The two men on the road to Emmaus didn't know who he was. His body looked different. Uh, it was glorified, not only physically, but he could walk through a closed door and eat a bite of fish on the other side. So he had an ability to be transported from one place to another. He was not subject to natural law, his, his glorified body. And Paul tells us in another place that Jesus is the first fruits. The resurrected Jesus is the first fruits meaning he's the first under the new covenant to be raised from the dead and there will be the entire church will follow so though your body goes down into the grave and eventually becomes ashes you know Paul's body is ashes now so is Peter's Andrew's John's James they're all ashes now but when Christ returns by the, by his very the very power that he created the worlds He's going to call those ashes together. He's going to bring into being a brand new body, a glorified, resurrected body. And to my understanding, this happens immediately in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, very quickly, uh, as we are going up, our, our soul that has been in glory the whole time is rejoined to the glorified body, uh, never to be unjoined again. It will happen sometime on the way up is the sure the way it seems to me, just looking at it biblically, but you got the body laying in the ground, but you got the soul immediately going into the presence of the Lord. And, uh, so it's, it's something to really look forward to. I mean, he's going to give us a body that, um, you know, you could work out with weights for five years and never get this body. You could, diet, with the best diets, you're never going to get this body. This body is going to be a glorified, magnificent, um, beautiful, uh, God-glorifying, immortal body that uh, will never die. That's eternal life. And that is the great hope of every believer. Mike?
2: Amen. So, hope that helps.
3: Yes, it did. Thank you very much.
2: Gary, stay on line if you likes and you have the movie Jesus. I think you'll enjoy it. Share it with your friends. Let's go to Cindy, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. How can we help?
0: Oh, um, I'm calling in response to the uh, frequently brought up uh, topic of predestination and and so on. And I I heard some someone call in just a few days ago about you know what's that all about and how it relates to Calvinism and. I've I've had that that very same kind of question uh, posed to myself many times, and I'm not a Calvinist. <laughs> um, I, I looked at that the verses where it speaks of that, and relation to John three sixteen where it says God loves the whole world, etc. Um, and I'm going to just tell you a little bit about the explanation that I like to give. You can tell me if I'm off or not, but I use the example of myself being invited to, to say a party and I probably don't know most of the people there. But before I get there, I purpose in my heart that I'm going to choose to be friends with everyone there. Uh, So I go to the party and some people uh, decide they, they choose to be my friend in return. And some don't, but me—I've already—I've already made my decision. I've chosen them all. Uh, the ones who choose not to, to to be my friend would be the ones who, of course, uh, they would be like uh, you know the ones that reject Christ.
2: Okay, Jeff, your thoughts?
3: Okay. Well, the whole notion of predestination. That is Calvinism. That's part of Calvinism. Uh, irresistible grace and uh, so on and so forth. Um, uh, you know, being totally depraved, total depravity. Uh, and there's the five points of Calvinism, the TULIP, the famous acronym TULIP. So you just take, for instance, total depravity or irresistible grace. The teaching of Calvinism is that if you are chosen by God to be saved, You are going to be irresistibly saved. You're going to experience not just the grace of God, but irresistible grace. You're going, you, you've got to come to him. You are going to come to him. There is no choice. You don't have any choice in the matter. He has chosen you. And so by irresistible grace, you're going to come to him. Calvinism goes further with the total depravity thing that since you are totally depraved, There is no way you can make a decision for Christ because there's nothing in you. Uh, you're, you're in bondage. You're gone. You're depraved. Um, there's no ability in you to make a choice for God. God has to do it for you. And if God doesn't do you, do it for you, you're not going to be saved. So there you've got, uh, you know, total depravity meets irresistible grace, but the, I, that's false on so many levels. It's unbiblical on so many levels. And I, real quickly, the way that I see it is this. God does not predestine us to be saved or lost, but he does predestine the saved to a purpose. You're not saved, uh, you're not predestined to be saved. You're not going to be irresistibly saved. But once you are saved, he has predestined you to a purpose. And the Bible, the New Testament is filled with teaching on our purpose in Christ, you know, to bear fruit. To you didn't choose me, but I chose you, that you would go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain. Uh, that's one of our purposes, to bring forth fruit, uh, that we would glorify him. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's one of our purposes. So we're not called to irresistible grace or by irresistible grace. We're not predestined by God to be saved. Whosoever will, let him come. That's what the Bible says. I mean, the book of Revelation, the very last book in the whole Bible, and the last chapter of the last book says, whosoever will, let him come. So the last chapter of the last book in the Bible ends with an invitation to whosoever. Well, I'm a whosoever, Mike's a whosoever, and everybody listening, you're a whosoever. And if you're saved, you simply heard the gospel and you chose to repent. And when you did, God saved you. But it was not irresistibly something you were predestined to, but you were predestined to the purposes that we have in Christ, that we would be involved in good works. That's one of our purposes. So. I don't know if that helps or not, Cindy, but uh, for me, the whole predestination thing needs to be understood in the light of we are not predestined to salvation, but we are indeed predestined to a purpose. We're not chosen for salvation, but we are chosen uh, to walk in a purpose once we are saved. And that's the way I see salvation, and that's, to me, uh, how Calvinism is debunked.
2: Well, yeah, and, and uh, again, <clears throat> in Peter it says that, that it's not God's will for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that verse that you mentioned earlier out of John 15:16, "You did not chose me, but I chose you." See? See right there. That proves uh, Calvinism. No, the context is everything. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Not everyone in this particular verse, and it is true. He goes up to Matthew Levi, received a customs, going into the city of Jerusalem. Said, "Follow me." And Matthew dropped all that he had and followed Jesus. And we see the same thing: this opportunity to be chosen to be one of the one of the twelve. So, understanding the context of fifteen, sixteen, you did not not chose me. But I I chose you and anointed you so you might go and bear fruit. Your fruit will last, and whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Very clearly, this was a message to his disciples. Now, again, we don't surprise God when we accept him as Savior. He lives in all times present. He already knows those that make it and who don't. But the problem is when we run into this idea that, that God has His His favorites, and again, Second uh, Peter three nine, and I'll just read that again. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us. And here it is, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That really knocks the wheels off the bus. Uh, of calvinism there is and by the way calvinism is an ism mormonism calvinism it's not christianity otherwise it'd be just normal christianity and so it's not it carries a completely different name because the thought patterns are really foreign to most of the bible now do they have a couple verses that they build their theology upon yes however when you examine the rest of the Bible, we know that it cannot be talking that God just put some people on earth to go to heaven and to hell with everybody else. That's not what the Bible teaches. Again, just as you mentioned earlier, for God so loved the world. I hope that helps. Yeah,
0: it does. I just wondered if, it, if you know, and when I give this explanation or this analogy, if you will, about, you know, I've, I've decided beforehand To choose to be everybody's friend but if they don't choose me back then there's no relationship
2: well yes god chose everybody the bible says god has given to every man a measure of faith now what they do with that determines their their um eternal destiny and so no i i believe that for god so loved the world god knocked he gave the invitation the question is who will receive and so I, I think cindy that works i hope you that helps
0: that. it does it does tremendously thank you so much
2: cindy god bless you stay online if you like send you out the movie jesus great for your friends great for you um and let's go to jacob hamilton montana hi welcome
4: hi i just want to say first of all love the show i love hearing all the questions you really taught me a lot in the time that i've been listening uh, my question is: I, I'm me and my wife are currently in the process of switching churches, and one of the churches that we've looked at, the pastor has the personal belief and teaches that both salvation through Jesus and baptism are required to go to heaven. That is not my personal belief. I believe that if you do that, it becomes a works-based salvation. Yep. And I just wanted your opinion on it.
2: Works-based salvation. I I I I don't believe. You have to be baptized to go to heaven. Uh, it's by faith. We know that baptism is an act of us, something that we do. Uh, and so it's, um, uh, I, I believe it's, it's really not in so much like an option because it is it, repent and be baptized that we know that. But, uh, Jeff, your thoughts.
3: Yeah, baptism is simply an act of obedience that illustrates what salvation has done for you. You're buried with Jesus by baptism into his death, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. So when you go down into the water, that represents burying your old life. When you come out of the water, that represents being raised to live a new life. But that is not what saves. Uh, it sounds like maybe uh, you're visiting a church of Christ. Is that right?
4: Is we've only been once
3: hello yes we're here. okay
4: uh, well i'm what, not sure it what it? their denomination is we've only visited once um okay but i i just i heard that through talking to another pastor that i know and i was okay. uh that confused me yeah
3: yeah it's not it's not true let me i'll give you a great example i've done a lot of uh preaching in in prisons okay and let's say i went to death row And I talked to a man that was doomed to be executed that week. And he genuinely repented and turned to Christ. But there's no way I can get him to water. I can't get him to any water. The prison structure are not going to let me do it. So is that man going to go to hell because I couldn't get him to some water? No. Uh, Because it's the blood of Jesus that is the new and the living way. Uh, The blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ is what Uh, Hebrews calls the new and the living way into uh, rightness with God, the presence of God, the heaven that God lives in. It's the shed blood of Christ that washes my sin away, not water baptism. Water baptism simply illustrates what the blood of Jesus already did for me. So, yeah, I do believe you should be water baptized. We baptize uh, in water every month, and uh, we just had a water baptism Sunday but I don't believe that those folks were lost until they got into the water. No, they were very saved, but they were simply obeying Christ. Uh, in, I, I believe water baptism ought to be one of the first acts of obedience that you involve yourself in, because Jesus did say that we were to get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or as the book of Acts shows, in the name of Jesus, whichever you choose. Um, he did teach that, but not to save you but it's an act of obedience.
2: I hope that helps. It does. Well, God bless you. And and uh, you know, I, I know uh, shopping for a church is very, very difficult. If you stay in line, I'll send you a, a movie, Jesus, and a little book called Time to Grow. And um, not only is it kind of a new believer's handbook, but it's really um, a doctrinal statement which you should look for in a church that you attend. So I'll send that out to you, okay, Jacob? Awesome. I'll get it to you. Stay online. We'll get your address. We'll send it. Promise we won't bombard you with millions of envelopes, as so many people do. We've never done that. We never will. Uh, that is not our purpose. Uh, and um, uh, But we do want to get that information into your hands. It'll help a lot. Let's go to Sue, Evanston, Wyoming. Hi, welcome.
0: Hi, Mike. Thank you, and Jeff and Ryan and all your crew for everything that you do. Um and the call that you've taken on to help all of God's children. I just appreciate you guys so much. My question is, um, last week when I was listening on um, on your channel, one of the pastors, I should have wrote it down, was saying that you, um, God can get upset at you and not answer your, or not listen to your prayers, not hear you pray. And it made sense to me because I have been, you know, yelling and asking God like why? Why do you let so many bad things keep happening? Like it just seems like one right after the other. I just keep thinking like
2: Okay, so I think just... we've got it. we've only got twenty seconds. Your thoughts, Jeff.
3: Yeah, the Bible does say if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now that's Psalm sixty six, eighteen. The bottom line is this the Holy Spirit lives within us, and if we sin, the very first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is lead us into a place of repentance. Because we haven't lost our salvation, but we did break fellowship with God until we repent. So, yeah. And so, uh,
2: again, fervent prayers of the righteous, James tells us, availeth much. Stay in line, Sue. You can call us back tomorrow and for more. And uh, thanks, Jeff, for being on. Everybody have a blessed night. To find
1: out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Everyman and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.